Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. If you're a fan of Disrupting Japan, you know that I have a strong dislike for attempts to make Japan sound too exotic. And, and this goes in both directions. On one side, we have consultants who claim that Japanese business practices are so unique, arcane, and confusing that the only way Westerners can possibly understand them is by paying large sums of money to consultants such as themselves. And on the other side, of course, we have people insisting that foreigners can't ever really understand Japanese anime without a thorough and nuanced knowledge of Japanese language and history. It's all utter nonsense. I mean, there are differences, of course, and those differences should be acknowledged and respected. But whether an idea is coming from Japan or America or Germany, one true measure of the value of that idea is its universality. The most important achievements might emerge out of cultural biases or sensitivities, but they address something universally true, something deeply human. Today we sit down with Kazoki of Mui Labs, and we're going to talk about Mui's radical rethinking of how we should interact with computers and the different contexts for that interaction. The Mui itself is a tactile and visual user interface that literally fades into the furniture when you're not using it. Now, this interface is clearly informed by Japanese aesthetics. In fact, some of the deeper issues Kaz and I talked about kept bubbling up in my mind in the week following the interview. And Kaz and I are going to do a follow-up later over a couple of beers in Kyoto. But there's nothing about the Mui design that looks particularly Japanese. It's tapping into a deeper and more human design sense. And that's far more interesting. Oh, and Mui Labs also represents a very rare kind of startup. A creature far, far more rare than unicorns. Mui Labs is an innovative and successful Japanese corporate spin-out. We talk about how Kaz made that work, his valiant battles against multiple layers of middle management, and how he managed to recruit top startup talent into that company. But you know, Kaz tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Kazoki, the co-founder of Mui Labs. So thanks for sitting down with us. Yeah, thank you for, for having us. It's great to finally have you on the show. So, so Mui is a wood-grained control panel for the home, but you know, I, I think you can probably describe it better mm -hmm. than I can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mui is originally the concept is coming from like Chinese philosophy. Mui Shizen is original concept. So Mui Shizen is uh, talking about lifestyle without intention, you know, living naturally. So we that concept for the coming, you know, IoT world. 
So IoT World, like next year, you know, to 20 billion devices will be connected each other, and it's like more than the people or human. So it's like a you know tremendous like a technology world is coming very soon, but we don't know you know what's going on yet. But you guys made really different choices than like the rest of the world, and I, I love right. people who are making different choices. So. Mm-hmm. Everything else is focusing on uh, additional interfaces, mm-hmm. additional functionality, mm-hmm. additional features. But mm-hmm. but you guys really went the opposite way. You you tried to scale things back. Yeah, we make the technology like a, you know Zen garden. So Zen garden is like expression of the world, but uh, just element is only stone, sand, and uh, like uh, you know plants. Yeah. And, and very much focused on, on touch. Right, right, right. Yeah. Whereas one of the things I thought was interesting with both Amazon Alexa mm-hmm. and uh, Google Home mm-hmm. are really focusing on voice commands. Mm-hmm. But you guys very intentionally stayed away from voice. Mm-hmm. So what was your thinking in that decision? Uh, so, you know, there's a couple of reasons. And one big reason is we are, you know, spinning out from a company called Nisha. Nisha is the world's largest touch panel company. And uh, we also focus on visual uh, aesthetics and mm-hmm. the touch panel combination. So from that point of view, we focus on, you know, touch panel on the touch. display system. And uh, at the other point of view, we focus on what's the essential value of, you know, for the, you know, people, human, and uh, there's two major value for the web, you know, from like a, you know, user's perspective. So that's, uh, you know, visual and, uh, you know, tactile feeling. Right. So that, you know, really match to our technology. And I noticed you've gotten, I mean, this, this aesthetic, this design sense mm-hmm. has gotten you a lot of attention and award overseas as well. You, you yeah. won like uh, the most innovative at CES mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. and uh, a best of Kickstarter award. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's, it's just because what you're doing is so different from everyone else? Or do you think there's like something mm-hmm. fundamental that we just want to interact with something simple? I think we probably visualize the hidden problem which we describe as a, like relationship between technology and the people in other words user experience you know sometimes we get a you know smart speaker or smartphone coming up but it's always a technology centered design but our approach is human centered technology design yeah and i guess i guess you're right so much of design now is driven by the technology right in right. that we have touch-sensitive displays, what can we do with this? Mm-hmm. We have smart speakers, what can we do with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a result, it's just, it's a lot of innovation. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of creativity, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. people just adding more and more and more and more. Right, right, right. It's a, like more features. And you guys are actually trying to take things away. Like trying to remove <laughs> from in front of us. Yeah. But backend technology is, you know, actually the same. We use, you know, cloud or those, you know, like a latest computing. But to deliver that technology to certain base or certain, you know, like a human relationship, we change that delivery system. Okay. So tell me about your customers. Who's the target audience for Mui? Is it uh, homeowners or gadget geeks or interior designers? So actually we started targeting interior designers or architects. 
So that's the original concept. And extension of that, we made a Kickstarter for the you know smart home or those you know like early adopter users.、Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we've been piling up our technology platform. You know, it's a very niche platform, but we have patent and we have like a UX system. We have like a cloud structure, so we make that a very small platform, and、right. now licensing to other companies. But most of the current interest、mm-hmm. is it coming from Japan or from the international market?、Uh, international market, yeah. Why? Why do you suppose that is? Because this has such a strong、mm-hmm. Japanese design sense、mm-hmm. to it.、Mm-hmm. I, I think that the wood material is like a common sense for everybody. So from that, like a traditional or authentic behavior point of view, sometimes people loves you know our technology. Well, I think so. I mean, wood. We we humans have been working with wood for the last fifteen thousand years. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's、yeah. pretty fundamental.、Mm-hmm. But do you think it's just the foreign companies have been more willing to try new things than the Japanese companies? I think Japan is all. Most of the time, we follow the concept from overseas, especially like technology. But those leading countries, like U.S., it's like technology driven. But also, there's certain amount of people focusing on the issue of technology. Yeah. So many Japanese startup founders have told me that they first got interest overseas,、mm-hmm. and when the Japanese Companies saw the overseas interest,、mm-hmm. then they became interested. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. <laughs> the same thing happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's got to be a little frustrating, though. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's you know, Japan's not trendsetter. Yeah, it's I think more like a follower. At least the large companies. I think there's a lot of really amazing things going、mm-hmm. on in startups and、mm-hmm. tiny companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually. Is there a kind of data analytics or big data component to your business as well, or is Mui planning on being strictly a, a hardware and device manufacturer? The Mui can be, you know, like collecting some data, but、uh, we care about like a privacy. Yeah, we always focus on how might we make like a better, you know, attitude of technology. That's our focus. So we done. We don't think we take the you know user data for the advertising and、yeah. so on. So just just to be a pure hardware vendor to make the best hardware device you can. But there, you know, it's refreshing actually. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, like a VC maybe hate. <laughs> no, I think that's it. I, I, think, I, I think that's it. I think there is a real beauty and importance、mm-hmm. to to designing hardware, to、mm-hmm. making just wonderful devices, mm-hmm. but VCs. The first thing they'll、yeah. ask you when you show them is like, okay, well, how can we use this to to push ads at people? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. like easy, easy concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone really wants that. Yeah, I think so. Consumer would like to keep you know privacy as much as possible. You know, you mentioned before that、uh, Mui Labs was a corporate spinout, and I'm going to、yes. talk about that in、uh-huh. some detail later.、Uh-huh. But since you had corporate backing,、mm-hmm. why did you run a Kickstarter and an Indiegogo campaign? Yeah, that's where I started Mui as a project inside a company called Nisha. 
I was in Boston and uh, I was at co-working space just by myself and uh, we built up a team in Japan. First, it started with like a designer and then adding more people like engineers and so on. So the idea for the project mm-hmm. and the, the leadership was in the U.S.? Yeah, in the, the U.S. The actual project team and the designers were here in Japan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was assigned person who is, you know, working overseas, you know, subsidiaries. And I was in charge of business development. And one of the idea of business development in Boston was like Mui. In the meantime, like Boston was like a startup, you know, big ecosystem there. Yeah. So I thought, you know, maybe making new business as a startup, like a, as running startup is like making sense to me. So I started Mui, but I didn't know exactly what the startup is. That's okay. But most startup founders, <laughs> most startup founders don't really know until yeah. they go through it. <laughs> so did Nisha start this innovation project mm-hmm. and and put you in charge of it, or was it more of like you wanted to start? Uh, yeah, the we want. Project? We wanted. Yeah. yeah. You pitched Nisha Management. Yeah. Really, and they were. What was their reaction? You know, at first people don't know what, what's going on. And still maybe don't know what's going on for you. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I, I think that's pretty typical at all big companies. Yeah, but, but I, you know, I got somewhat, you know, approval. So I made a team under. How did you convince them to let you do that? Was it just going and say, look, this won't cost much money? Or, or how did you make that case? Because I know there's a lot of people working at big companies uh-huh. who have great ideas uh-huh, uh-huh. for innovative products or services their uh-huh. company could do. But it's really hard to get support. Yeah, it's really hard, yeah. But I don't know, I, I was confident so much for me, you know, without any evidence, but there, <laughs> <laughs> that makes me, you know, I don't know, creating the business plan. But there, from that approach, I met with, you know, many Japanese startup founders, and they're so, I don't know, motivated and they're, they're, they're great people. I think they're inspiring me. Also, they, you know, I could reach out to those people to ask what a startup is. Yeah. I, I got to say, I mean, so many big Japanese companies mm-hmm. send hundreds of staff to the U.S. Mm-hmm. every year to mm-hmm. study innovation. And mm-hmm. I, I think you're the first person I've actually met <laughs> as, like, created a startup from that program. <laughs> yeah, very rare person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, so what, what led to the Kickstarter and the Indiegogo? Yeah. So after, you know, we started and we created company, initial company, that assignment make me back to Kyoto. And then we made somehow, like, you know, I don't know, business development, but not working well because we didn't launch the product. Right. So for launch the product, I think the best way to do is, I don't know, I was so confident to do Kickstarter <laughs> because my friend does. Well, it worked out well for you. you. You raised a lot of money. You got the best of Kickstarter reward. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but was your goal with Kickstarter, was it to raise funds? Was it to do marketing? Was it to do kind of product validation? What, what was the goal? Goal was actually convince ourselves. Okay. So product validation both from the market and mm-hmm. for the team. Team, yes. Yeah. How we can be confident ourselves 
by you know reaching out to like a global audience and get support from actual support from them. So was that something that was most important for the the team itself, or did did Nisha need that validation too? Actually, until last minute, it was secret project for us. But uh, somebody <laughs> found us. You know, we are ready for Kickstarter. So, so was Nisha uh, opposed or confused? Yeah, about- Nisha confused last minute. I could see uh, that. Yeah, I persuaded. <laughs> Because it's, it's a very traditional Japanese company. Yeah, 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 yeah. So corporate didn't know which one we're going to take. Or I didn't explain last, you know, until last minute. <laughs> I, so. I can understand that. That, that, could be, that could be very long conversations. Yeah, yeah, because it's hard to make like, I, I, a consensus. That would be so many meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love the idea of crowdfunding sites mm-hmm. for like corporate innovation. Mm-hmm, because... You weren't using the brand, mm-hmm. so you weren't risking the brand at all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really cost much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it lets you get uh, that, that product validation mm-hmm. much cheaper and much faster yeah. than like focus groups or right, right, right. market research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we can reach out to global market as quick as possible. And uh, why we choose Kickstarter is that it's like all or nothing. Yeah. So if you couldn't get funded, you couldn't get anything. Yeah, it forces you to be really clear about this is the experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my like a betting. So if it will not work, I thought you know I should quit. Yeah, but that's that's good. Yeah. That that you need that. I I, yeah. I think too many, not so much startups because mm-hmm. startups are always restricted by the amount of capital they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But. Too many corporate innovation mm-hmm. projects, there's no clear end. No, no. Yeah. People like to make kind of big, fuzzy projects mm-hmm. with no clear, all right, if we don't get this result, we'll stop and do something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that Kickstarter's been successful, where are, you, where are you doing your manufacturing? Are you doing that within Nisha or is that also independent? Uh, independent, yeah. Really? Yeah, we still get support for the engineering from Nisha. It's like, you know, we are paying, but uh, for the manufacturing, we are working with like outside companies. Why? Why? What led to that decision? No, that's really surprising. I'm surprised because with their expertise in manufacturing. Yeah, but Nisha is not like a full component manufacturer, you know, who is like a device manufacturer, you know, like a especially touch panel, but for large scale. In a not small scale. Okay. So where are you, where are you doing your manufacturing? In, in China? In Japan? We've been like a, you know, struggling to find the best partner. And now we're working with like a Kyoto-based like Makers Bootcamp. Sure. Yeah. And they support us to find a supplier you know, of component or assembly. Yeah, the final assembly actually is in Kyoto. Wow. So made in Japan. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> So your original plan uh, was to, to ship the first batch in September or October of this year, right? Yeah, yeah. So how's that going? It slipped a little bit. Yes. Uh, now we are targeting January 2020. And it's on, I think it's on time. No, no, yeah, a yeah. couple of months later. <laughs> that, that's on time for Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean. yeah. <laughs> on time. <laughs> yeah, we are struggling to make that software and hardware like both sides is you know 
like very new. So if you make smartphone now, you know you can refer to iPhone, but sure, we, just, we don't have like a reference. Yeah, creating <laughs> creating something from scratch from yeah. zero is yeah. always really hard. So in that process. Mm-hmm. What was the most surprising thing? What, what did you think was going to be easy that turned out to be really hard? Human interaction, you know, making you know better user experience, is hard to settle in you know one place. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess especially for something like like Mui, which is really minimal and yeah, yeah. a very simple change to the UI could require big changes to hardware and changes to software. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Mui is minimizing the digital experience at home, but uh, if too minimalistic, people don't know how how yeah. it can be used, and also it's it's going to be blended into the you know environment because we use the the material you know which is used for the interior decoration or furniture, so sometimes people you know don't need to <laughs> use Mui you right. know, all the time. Yeah, it should it should become invisible when it's yeah, not yeah, being used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how we could take balance? How you know, Mui can be having the meaning at the home or for the family or making hardware. It's still very difficult, but the hardware has certain lead time or. Yeah, know, yeah. If you if you're you're you know. building to spec or you're uh-huh. building, yeah, I can see what, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. But experience is like infinite, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, there's so many great new hardware startups in Japan now. Mm-hmm. So what would be like the best advice you could give a hardware startup founder who's just starting out? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Think about. You know, di- differentiate yourself from large corporation is the I think best. If you just like a leapfrog of other product oh, yeah. is not really what you put your I don't know life. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I guess that gets back to though. That's why it is so mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's small improvements from mm-hmm. what we have now, mm-hmm. big companies are really good at that. Yeah, they're yeah, really good. Okay, now that you've, you're, you're starting manufacturing, mm-hmm. what is your marketing strategy? So, so far you've been getting a lot of attention from mm-hmm. events and, mm-hmm. and Kickstarters, mm-hmm. but you know, those kind of one-time events yeah, yeah. Are, are good for quick attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what, what's your plan long-term for marketing? Uh, there's two different strategies. So one is like a B2B. We're targeting a hotel, like a hospitality you know, environment to make hospitality technology works more like a human-centered. Right. And also we are licensing technology to other hardware companies, makes Mui effect happen on device or on space, in space. So, so are you thinking of like partnering with, say, furniture makers yeah, and things like that? furniture maker or automobile. So make digital product more calm. Yeah. And- so what is what is the most likely end game? Where are you likely to be in like five or ten years? Do mm-hmm. you think that the Mui as we see it today mm-hmm. is kind of more of a proof of concept? And mm-hmm. is most of your business going to be mm-hmm. OEMing and integrating with other products? Or do you think um, the future is in being a manufacturer? 
we are like a fabulous company, and、uh, we are using other resources to make our product. But by ourselves, we can make you know like a system, Mui system working for hardware product now. So our like core competence is those software system, user experience design. From that point of view, we are trying to make like licensing technology to other you know company because the twenty billion devices will be connected. Right, right. So we try to eliminate one screen away from other our you know site because we are losing our you know like a time, especially you know emotional time to technology more and more. Yeah, I guess it makes more sense that in the long run there'll be much bigger opportunities for integrating with other products、mm-hmm. and, and being a pure technology、mm-hmm. vendor.、Um, when you make that step from、uh, to kind of a more of a mass market, a B two B mass market,、mm-hmm. do you think that's going to become more integrated with Nisha, or do you think you're going to remain independent? Remain independent. Really? Yeah. Why? Why is that? Because at that level, you would think like Nisha would be really useful, because that that's like their whole business is that kind of OEM. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think one big reason is we knew Nisha, you know, very much. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah.、Um. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like、uh, if we are startup, we are pretty much open. So you want to run it like a startup. Yeah, we we like to be startup because we choose the way you know as a startup. Well, let's let's talk a bit about that spin out process、mm-hmm. because Mui is a rare example of a very、mm-hmm. successful startup spin out from、mm-hmm. a large company.、Mm-hmm. So most corporate spin outs、mm-hmm. fail. They don't. In fact, most don't even happen.、Mm-hmm. For example, I've worked with a number of large Japanese companies who are trying to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. I'm curious about like how you solved some of the big problems. So, like one of the big problems、mm-hmm. faced at big companies is that the employees don't want to spin out.、Mm-hmm. They, they want to stay in the safety of the big company.、Mm-hmm. And did you experience that as well, or how did you how did you get the team excited about leaving the parent? You know, when I established subsidiary, it's 100% owned by Nisha. There's two other people agreed with me. But it wasn't happening, you know. There's no system, so if just by myself, I couldn't make that decision、right. most likely. But fortunately, I had a great team. So was the the original team? Were they all、uh, Nisha employees? Yes.、Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, how did you how did you find them? Did you just say, "I want to start this company, making this Mui device." Come join me. Yeah, we started project with one of co-founder who is designer. He's still with you know us as a co-founder, and、uh, the other person is actually after we started my project, he would like to join us. You know, their mindset is you know they don't care so much for Nisha. Or also their family, especially their wife, was very helpful to to understand what they do. Yeah, that's usually a big challenge. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so I guess they just kind of fell in love with the like the product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is something that's really motivating to be working on a small team that's、mm-hmm. building something from scratch、mm-hmm. that most people don't get to experience working at a big company. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 
And, and what about as you've grown, as the new employees, have you hired from outside or yes. also recruited from in, inside? Uh, mostly from outside right now. When we spin out, when that was happening, I persuaded one very big, great talent who used to work for like MIT Media Lab, who is CTO now. But he couldn't join if we are under Nisha because he is not interested in working, working with, you know, enterprise. <laughs> but yeah. he, he's interested in startup. Yeah, no, I've, I've noticed that. Uh, a lot of people, um, it's not necessarily they're motivated by, like, potential IPO or something. Mm-hmm. They just don't want to work in a big company environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that, that was a big reason for buyout. Because other than that, we just focus on niche employee. But it's, you know, limited. Even big company, right, right. it's limited. And the resource should be shared, you know, by many different well, divisions. Yeah, and as you, as you grow, you want to get the best talent yeah, for yeah, the yeah, job. Yeah, so, yeah. so right now, what's, what's kind of the ratio? How many, what percentage of the staff are, mm-hmm. are original Nisha employees and what percent were brought in? Original Nisha employees, right now, four and five uh, from outside. Oh, okay, yeah. so almost 50-50. Yeah, 50-50. Uh-huh. But weird, I think very unique. I, I yeah. think so too, and that's what I'm trying to get to. No, it's, because it's yeah. like there's so many, so many there's so many companies <laughs> trying to do this. I mean, it sounds like Nisha was really supportive, but what was, what was the hard part? Was there something that was like mm. particularly difficult or a particular big problem that had to be solved? Yeah, there's, you know, many problems. Yeah. <laughs> so one major issue is that middle management, they... You know, middle management would like to control ah. the balance, you know, yeah. the budgeting or you know, everything. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a big issue for many Japanese companies. Yes, I, I think this is, that's also, I think, the reason why a lot of people don't want to work at big Japanese companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, yeah, the middle management wants to have the control but not take any of the risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, they are not responsible for any risk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But that's the big advantage of like of spinning it out. It makes people in the same way like the Kickstarter made it very clear that yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to succeed or fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spinning it out is like okay, you're either joining mm-hmm. or you're not. Mm-hmm. Like a show and tell. So always this constraints or the bottlenecks or issues. But uh, I always try to show and tell. So the way you were finally successful. Did middle management finally agree, or did upper management just say, look, we're doing this? I skipped middle management. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the only way I've ever seen it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I skip all middle management. <laughs> it's the only way to do. So that's why I established my love inside the company, because I can be CEO of that company, even like a salaryman person. Uh-huh. <laughs> So actually, like the, the corporate spinouts, you guys have actually raised funds recently. Yes. yes. And, and corporate spinouts, it's notoriously difficult yes. to raise funds. So yes. how, how did you do that? So we made buyout. We bought 100% from Nisha. Well, I, I'm surprised that Nisha would want to let it go. <laughs> because we are making, you know, rent. Well, you know, yeah. inside the Nisha. <laughs> <laughs> But still, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, startups lose money at first. 
um, some always, but you know. But I, I'm surprised that Nisha, if they have one of the very few examples of a successful startup spinout, that they'd want to let it, if you don't mind saying, like right now, what percentage is held by the founding team and what percentage by Nisha and what percent by VCs? The management team owns more than 75%. So, so you're back to a, a cap structure that's really very typical for startups. Yeah, 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 yeah. So moving forward, it will be it will be easier to raise money. Yes, yes, yes. That that's the original concept. All right. Let's let's talk about um, let's talk about Kyoto. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I think Kyoto is one of the most interesting startup ecosystems in Japan. I mean, it's yes, small, yes, but there's small, but amazing unique, things going on. Unique, yeah. very unique. Particularly with like hardware startups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have Atomov, and yeah. we, and uh, it's big, but uh, GLVM. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. It's very unique, you know, ecosystem. I think happened in Kyoto. So why? I mean, even like five years ago, mm-hmm. there was almost there. There was no ecosystem in, mm-hmm. in Kyoto, mm-hmm. or, or I mean, there might have been like buddies who would meet up in a bar, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. So what? What changed? What caused this to happen so quickly? I think I think Makino-san, the Makers Bootcamp, yeah. is leading the scene. So Makers Bootcamp is really making a difference there. Yeah, they are also like a, you know very interesting. They are also startup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's I've been out there a few times. It's 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 tiny, but it's a great yeah. community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, community building is key for Kyoto startup ecosystem. Well, you know, one thing I've noticed about Kyoto mm-hmm. and. It's also true with uh, Fukuoka, mm-hmm. is that like the startup founders from Kyoto want to stay in Kyoto, mm-hmm. so that they'll open like a sales office in Tokyo, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or like you were saying before, you'll come to Tokyo like once a week. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but they stay in Kyoto, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it lets you build an ecosystem mm-hmm, where where too many startups from Osaka or mm-hmm, Sapporo mm-hmm. when they start getting successful like move to Tokyo. Right, 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 right. I think it's you know very similar to traditional large enterprise in Kyoto too. They stay headquartered in Kyoto, like a Murata or Kyocera or Nintendo. Yeah, that's true. They're still in Kyoto, you know, because they're targeting global market. But Osaka always try to compete with Tokyo, and Osaka has big market, but Kyoto is very small. Domestic Kyoto market. Yeah. So we should focus on outside. Yeah, it, it's got a very global focus, but it's still a very small, friendly community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I think, yeah, very unique. And like a walk distance. We are. Yeah, everyone's pretty close. Yeah, it's yeah. not that big of a city. Locating 10 minutes walk from Atomov, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I think great things are coming out of Kyoto. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite. Places right now in Japan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and very unique, you know, yeah. service or product. And um, I had a uh, Hoso-san. Ah, oh, Hoso-san, hi. Which is not, I mean, not a startup. Well, certainly not a startup. It's three hundred and fifty years old, but yeah, he has startup mindset. mindset. <laughs> but I think that kind of collaboration mm-hmm. is unique to Kyoto. I think so. Yeah, very unique. Well, listen, Kaz, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand, mm-hmm. 
and I told you that you could change one thing mm -hmm. about Japan, mm -hmm. anything at all, mm -hmm. the education system, the way people think about risk, the way big company employees behave, anything at all mm -hmm. to make it better for startups and innovation in Japan, mm. what would you change? Uh, I think paradigm shift. Well, like, like yeah. what part? From Samurai to Meiji, yeah. it's big paradigm shift, right? Hierarchy or everything, system. And uh, the Meiji government is structured by huge amount of lower level samurai, not management of like a large samurai, you know, countries. Wow. So for the corporate driven startups, that paradigm shift can be very helpful. But I mean, like the Meiji restoration was, I mean, everything changed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, it, I mean, like the, the government, the education system, I mean, like mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So do you think that we need that big of a change in Japan today? Other than that, you know, we lost semiconductor industries. Now we are losing, you know, automotive industries. And uh, we already, you know, lost computing I mean, Japan has done, I, I think one of the biggest myths of Japan is people mm -hmm. say Japan changes really slowly, mm -hmm. and I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's wrong, it's yeah. wrong, yeah. Japan changes really, really fast. Yeah. It just takes a long time, like, getting ready to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the Meiji Restoration, mm -hmm. uh, where, like, everything changed very quickly, and mm -hmm. after the war, mm -hmm. after the, uh, yeah. everything changed yeah, really yeah, quickly yeah. again. Yeah. But... On both of those examples, it only changed when there was extreme pain and, mm -hmm. and risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're going to have to get to that point? Yeah, yeah I think it's happening now. Yeah. And uh, how we live our life from now on to 40 years or 50 years is, you know, like uh, older people doesn't care so much, but younger people cares, need, need to care more and more. What, 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 do you, what do you think they need to care about? For our kids or, you know, for uh, like a country? Or oh, you mean just, or... just kind of thinking of the future in general? Uh, you used to be like a large corporation, keeps employees' life and a very protected uh, ecosystem for yeah. everybody. Not yeah. anymore. Not anymore, but we need to know that's happening now for Japanese second largest industry, like automotive. I think one of the reasons we're seeing so many startups mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. is because this generation realizes that big companies aren't going to take care of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so they have the motivation to, well, I mean, it's different. Like some, some people, when they realize the big companies won't take care of them, have the motivation to run out and start new companies. Mm -hmm. uh, some people just become like neats, mm -hmm. right? And just say, no, I'm just going to live a... a simple, comfortable life. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe we're already seeing that beginning of that change. But there for high-educated people may aware of that, but, you know, not everybody, right? No, I, I agree. I, I think most of Japan, <laughs> most of Japan still wants to be like middle management. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or I think also what we need to focus, so my focus is on in Japanese, say tatazumai. Tatazumai is, you know, meaning many different meanings. But uh, when we focus on 
that Tatazumai, you know, Kyoto is the best place, you know, still remaining many assets from, you know, old history. But we are somehow losing for the condominium or, you know, many things. But t h e r e uh, focus on essential, you know, thing. But we have. Maybe this is one of the reasons I, I am so fascinated with what's happening in、mm-hmm. Kyoto is、mm-hmm. that. So, we're definitely seeing the, the kind of breakdown of that contract of mm-hmm. work for a company for life.、Mm-hmm. And so that's going away, but there, there's like some older traditions and、mm-hmm. older ways of thinking are、mm-hmm. actually being pulled、mm-hmm. into modern world. Right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like old concept is not always good,、mm-hmm. you know. Should be transformed into like a current or present or future. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So may, many big Japanese you know, companies in Kyoto transform from old product to like a modernized product. So the Murata is a semiconductor company, but they started from like a porcelain. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Nintendo is started from like a gaming card. Right. But even what you guys are doing at, at, at Mui, it, it is taking a very traditional Japanese aesthetic and sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and applying it to, to in, modern technology. To computing, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, how we make that happen one more in different areas is very important, not just focusing on domestic market. Well, and I think it's interesting. <laughs> Or feature. But, but you've gotten the initial interest from overseas first. Yeah, yeah. That responded to this aesthetic. <laughs> and only later did Japanese companies say, oh, wait, this is interesting. Yeah, like everything, like ukiyo-e、yeah. is, you know, firstly found by American people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> then became popular again. And they make value for that. <laughs> and they make popularity. I mean, if, if that's the process, I guess that's fine. Yeah, the yeah, end yeah. result is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,、uh, how we could, you know, leverage global market. To Japanese mindset is very, I think, important now. I think so.、Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, it's starting to happen again. It's, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah, good to yeah. see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, well, listen, Kaz, thanks so much for sitting down Thank with me. Thank you, too. <laughs> and we're back. Kaz and I talked a bit about minimalism in the interview and a bit more after the mics had been turned off. And I want to talk with you a bit more about it now. Not, not so much as a philosophy or a graphic design style, but as, well, an aesthetic. Now, Kaz mentioned the famous rock gardens of Kyoto, and these are practically the archetype, the, the universal symbol of minimalism. But there, there's something that's always bothered me about that. You see, When rock gardens were first designed nearly a thousand years ago, the world outside the temple walls was forested and green and, and chaotic. It was unknown and, and dangerous. The rock gardens presented a contrast. They were controlled, white, and ordered. Well, today the world outside the temple walls is controlled. Made mostly of white concrete and highly ordered. Perhaps a modern temple garden made of overgrown greenery would provide the same kind of contrast that the original rock gardens provided. But the aesthetic is deeper than that. And here is where the Mui comes in. 
The world we live in, the world we interact with, is not just one of buildings and trees and physical objects. We live in a digital world. And that digital world is every bit as scary and chaotic as the forests were a thousand years ago. In fact, anyone who has ever ridden the trains in Tokyo knows that this minimalist aesthetic is far from universal in Japan. We are constantly bombarded by ads, messages, alerts, and signals all screaming for our attention. I think this is why the minimalist approach is so common in Japanese homes and in hospitality. It's an escape from the chaos, a chance to be alone with your thoughts or with your loved ones. The Mui springs from that sensibility. However, and it breaks my heart to say this, just because something is the best solution... And just because it's clearly better for the mental health and well-being of the users, doesn't mean it will succeed in the marketplace. There is an inherent conflict between minimalism, which involves removing everything you don't need, and capitalism, which involves producing and selling everything you possibly can. The MUI interface is already seeing interest from around the world, so, so there's clearly a need for and appreciation of their approach. But the mass market, that's going to be more challenging. Will the MUI change the market, or will the market change MUI? The market's already defeated minimalism many times in the past. Just a few years ago, Marie Kondo became world-famous spreading the message that happiness does not come from the junk that you own and that we all need to minimize. But this year, she launched her e-commerce site selling random interior design objects, junk, and other knickknacks. It's hard to know if Mui's quiet calls for less can win out over the market's ceaseless demand for more. But I hope they will. We need them. Mui's approach, and those like it, are going to be what keeps us all sane in the chaos of our digital world. If you want to talk more about Mui or about minimalism, or less about minimalism, I suppose, Kaz and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 155 and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee Kaz or I, or maybe both, will respond. And if you get the chance, check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook. But even better, if you like the show, tell people about it. Disrupting Japan has grown not by social media marketing or advertising, but because listeners like you enjoy it, and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.